The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Open your Bible, please, with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. I'm going to read the first eight verses. If you've been vacationing and you say, let's see, I think we were in first or second Peter. No, we finished second Peter two weeks ago, and I started last week on a topical series that will range through numerous different books on the subject of God-centered prayer. And we began with that subject in Acts chapter 4 last week. I continue it today with shorter time than usual on a communion Sunday, but I put before you a passage that has a rather direct and simple point to make, but it's a very important one. Follow in God's Word as I read Luke 18, the first eight verses. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This is God's holy word. When I was a boy, Halloween was a little different than it is now. The phrase trick or treat actually involved tricks as well as treats. And especially in a gang of boys I ran around with, we tried to devise things that we could do to trick homeowners. A little soap on the car windows if you left your car out in the driveway. Things that didn't destroy property, but at least caused annoyance in our neighborhood. And one juvenile escapade that I admit to being part of was to ring a doorbell long and hard, and then run as fast as you could go and get behind a fence or a garage or a bush or something so that when the bewildered homeowner came to the door and looked around, of course, saw no one there, and he was frustrated, and we thought this was uproarious fun. Never quite understood why, but 10-year-olds think differently than 68-year-olds do. The point is, I believe some people pray like that. 
They ring God's bell and do not linger near his door and move away from his presence enough so that when something takes place that might be visualized and understood as an answer to prayer, they're nowhere to be found. And yet these same folks will testify and tell people why prayer doesn't work. I tried it, and I didn't see any real fruitful result. Luke 18, 1 to 8 is a rather simple passage. It does not have a lot of layers to it. But it's a passage that is strong in a message about perseverance in prayer, keeping a vigil of expectant prayer. Jesus is actually talking here, if you would look back at the previous chapter, he'd been talking about the coming of his kingdom, his return, the day of the Lord. We've had a lot to say about that in in the epistles of Peter. And he's reminding them there in that previous chapter to be watching, to be looking out for that day because they don't know the day or the hour. And then immediately, 18 opens with the idea that they ought to pray and not lose heart while they're looking for his coming. Men ought always to pray, in the King James Version it says, and not to faint or lose heart in the English Standard Version. Prayer is the antidote to losing heart. And isn't it true that people lose heart all over the place and give way to negative circumstances and hopelessness and decide there's nothing that can be done, God can't do anything, I can't do anything, I give up. Jesus says the alternative to giving up is persisting and persevering in prayer. Prayer is a fundamental Christian activity. It's not easy. We all struggle with it, but we are to persevere in it, according to our Lord. Last time we started with this theme of prayer by my saying to you that I did not entertain the idea as we look forward to maybe 12 or 14 messages in this direction that I was going to so much concentrate on how to pray. That's maybe what you want. Pastor, teach me how. And I said it's not so much about how to as it is who to. That's why I'm calling the series God-Centered Prayer. I remain convinced after many years that the biggest struggles people have with prayer is misunderstanding of the God to whom they pray. If we understand God and we understand our covenant relationship to Him and understand what He does for us with Christ as our mediator and intercessor and the Holy Spirit, we would pray more. But somehow we don't understand God. Instead, we think of Him as the big uh, candy dispensing machine or something like that. And we have this terrible market-driven notion of getting our answers from God. Acts 4, last time, demonstrated a tremendous prayer. Go look at that prayer of the apostles in Acts 4 later on if, you, if you're not familiar or you weren't here last time. They, they certainly did not come into the presence of God. They'd just gotten out of jail. They'd been severely threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And they lifted up a prayer to God. Oh, great, sovereign Lord, they prayed. How great you are. How wonderful you are. Thank you for allowing us to take your truth into the world. Thank you. In so many words, they said, thank you for letting us be arrested and threatened 
by the hierarchy because this was all from you. Now, Lord, let's do it again. What a prayer. And it was a God-centered prayer because it first and foremost adored the God who was all sovereign. Today we have this parable taught by Jesus himself telling us that prayer has to persist. It has to persevere. It has to hold on. Because it may indeed be long on some occasions before we see what we can understand as the answers. Sometimes God works very quickly in bringing answers to prayer, but it's a long time for us to understand and interpret in events around us that he has indeed answered. We say, oh, I get it now. That was God's answer that happened six months ago. That's how dull we are. It sometimes takes us that long to understand what God is doing. Here is Jesus with these words about a pleading widow and an unjust judge who was worn down by her incessant applications. And I would, first of all, help you see, if you don't see already, it's a relatively simple lesson, that this parable is full of irony. Sometimes in the parables we're to look at someone acting or speaking, and we say, well, okay, that person is like God or, or that person is like me. And here's a parable where someone is acting who's absolutely unlike God and someone else in it who is absolutely unlike me. God is more inclined to bless us than we are inclined to ask. I am convinced that's the lesson of this parable that comes across by way of contrast, not comparison. It's the dissimilarity of the judge and of the widow that we are to understand here. The severe contrast between an arrogant judge and a gracious God. Look at this man. He's described here as a local magistrate. I'm sure he walked down the street very proudly. People were expected to make way for him and reserve his parking space wherever he wanted it reserved. He was selfish. He was proud. He didn't fear God. He had no religious fear or social fear either of anybody because he basically controlled the most power, apparently, of anyone around him. And so he decided he'd do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it. And if he wanted to ignore you, he'd do that. But here's this widow who comes. We don't know the nature of her complaint. It might have been over property or something. But she had a complaint. And she wouldn't let it rest. She didn't take no for an answer. She sent text messages 22 times a day. She sent voicemail 42 times a day. In every possible way, she was in the face of this judge, badgering him, wearing him down. The Greek verb summarizes that the judge caved in, literally it would say, so that she won't give me a black eye. In other words, so I won't look bad to everybody else for how I'm treating her. Just to get rid of her. Now Jesus absolutely, if anyone thinks this, did not imply that we should pray to God until he is worn out or until he says, oh man, those Presbyterians are really tough. I just have to give them what they want because they won't go away otherwise. No. The key of interpretation here, although these three words aren't right there, the words how much more are the words. If an unjust judge who cares only about himself and nothing about other people and not even about justice will do this just to get somebody out of his hair, 
how much more will our God, who is absolutely unlike that in every way, be ready to respond graciously, promptly, wisely, justly with his own people who come to him? He does not need to be worn down by relentless harping and wailing. He will deal in mercy and in justice in his right time and right way. We can expect that. The very same message is elsewhere in Luke, in Luke 11, where Jesus gave the example of human fathers who know how to give the right things to their children. And Jesus argued there that, you know, that the child might receive something that that looked like a scorpion, but it couldn't be a scorpion because a father wouldn't do that. Or it might look like a stone, but the father wouldn't do that. How much more will a father give the right thing to his own child, he argues in Luke 11. And this widow has to be understood, too, as not the same as us. She's not privileged in the way we are privileged by way of special access to the judge. She had no special access. That's the whole point. She was nobody. She was pushed aside at the judge's door by probably more important, more wealthy people. She was a nobody. There was no pre-existing relationship there. She was a stranger. Well, what do we know about ourselves as we come in prayer to our God? We know that we are his electos in the Greek, the word that's used here in verse 7. We're talking about God's elect who cry to him day and night. Those whom Ephesians 1 says were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I'm not going to even try to develop the rich doctrine of election as it's all across the Bible this morning. But it certainly is a doctrine that tells us that we are God's special people. He's designed for our salvation to work through Jesus Christ and his work in the cross and resurrection that he would bring us to himself to make a people for himself here in this world across the ages. And so if this people comes with their special pre-existing relationship to him, how much more will our heavenly Father be totally invested in listening to us and doing for us what is right. We can never say he's like this, this judge who had to be beaten down and shamed before he would act for this woman. Our Father is infinitely predisposed towards us as his children in Jesus Christ. God is more inclined to bless us than we actually are inclined to ask him and seek his blessing. Well, secondly, here in Luke 18, I would give you another point that would say this. Persevering prayer happens when Christ's people prefer God's justice to their own solutions. So many times when we, we begin to pray and maybe pray for a while about something and then we sort of shrug and give up and say, well, I guess God isn't interested in answering my prayer. What we're really saying is he hasn't done exactly what I dictated that he should do. And you will hear me say this throughout the coming weeks as we consider this subject, that getting exactly what you placed as your order, like when you order something from Amazon Prime or something like that, uh, getting your order from God is not what prayer is about. Prayer is about a communication relationship in which you learn as much as you get. 
you learn by listening and reflecting and studying the Word and, and maybe looking at why the Father doesn't give you exactly what you ask for. What good design might He have in denying you what you're asking for and giving you something quite different? What you should be looking for is God's justice, the right thing. Justice implies that which is right, that which is correct, that which is according to the Father's design. Again, remember, you are one of his elect. He has got a special protective relationship over you. I was seeing a nature program the other night on TV with a grizzly bear and two cubs up somewhere in Canada or Alaska. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but the point was being made, you don't mess with a mother grizzly who's got a cub nearby. For that, that young animal is her special concern and protectorate, and you do not want to get between her and that cub. Can you believe that as God's elect man or woman in Jesus Christ, he has a similar care relationship over you? Imagine that one of my three sons was walking down the road somewhere in Mannheim Township and one of these torrential rainstorms like we had just the other night. My wife tells me I slept through a slam banger the other night and I didn't hear a bit of it. But let's say that was going on in the middle of the day and I was driving my car and my wheels were sweeping sheets of water as I went along and all of a sudden out in front of me I saw my son, one of my sons, And he looked and recognized me, and I looked and recognized him. And he waved and beckoned, Dad, I need a ride. I'm soaked. And instead of stopping and giving him a ride, I looked for where there would be a large puddle near him and aimed for the middle of it and drowned him with a greater sheet of water. I wouldn't do that to you, Ben, but just imagine. You'd say, what kind of a father are you? Your son's already half drowned. Why would you do that? The point is, I wouldn't. And that's what this passage is saying. Your father wouldn't do that to you because he is your father and you enjoy a special relationship. If an unjust judge can be manipulated until his fingers are pried open and he stops being totally selfish, how much more will your heavenly father have a special reward and a special just answer for you. Hang in there in your relationship with prayer until you see that, until that becomes clear to you. You know, I know when we're talking about prayer, a lot of people sort of hang their head. And maybe they listen because they say, well, maybe this pastor can tell me what it is that's so hard about prayer and I can pray better because I have a hard time with it. And a lot of these people who've been in the church for years and years think they're the only ones that that struggle with prayer. Listen, pastors struggle with prayer, folks. I may be able to stand up and pray on a moment's notice, which would perhaps be very difficult for you to do the same thing, but that doesn't mean I don't have prayer struggles. We all struggle with persevering and holding on and and waiting before our Father to find out what is really going on here. What's happening, God? I need your wisdom. I feel abandoned. I, I feel diswrought. I don't seem to have a solution. We all, in a sense, talk baby talk in prayer. And there are times when we just feel like we have to clap our hands over our mouth and, and we can only listen 
Maybe we should stop talking in prayer and just listen. But what does our text say we're really praying for here? It says we're praying for God's justice. Again, I say that's praying for what God determines to be right for you in the time and place that you're petitioning him. James 4.3 says you pray and do not receive because you ask it amiss to spend it on your passions. The greater amount of what people say God didn't answer prayer is God didn't do, he didn't deliver what I demanded. And really what he was hoping was that you would keep praying long enough that you would find out he has no intent of giving what you demanded because what you demanded wasn't right or good for you, no matter how you might have thought it was. He has better things in his justice, and that's what you should be pursuing, not a vending machine approach. Prevailing prayer that persists with the Lord over the long run should be thought of as a kind of training program in which you are bringing whatever your best knowledge is. Lord, as I look at my situation, I think this is what I need. Will you help me? Can you provide this? But Lord, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this isn't what I need. Can you show me if it's something else altogether? Persevering prayer seeks the will and wisdom of God and is willing to see our own desires be whittled away and maybe completely transformed, but it takes waiting. It takes time. And it's quite possible that you'll reach the decision to walk away and say, well, God isn't there and he doesn't care and he's not going to answer. A third issue quickly here is the Christian failure to persevere in prayer seems to me that it shows our lingering unbelief. We all have lingering unbelief. That doesn't say you're an atheist or you're an agnostic, but in your faith in Jesus Christ, there are things where you just don't believe that God is working. There are roots and strands of things running through your life that it's hard for you to believe that Christ is involved. But if we really believe that what Scripture reveals about our God's limitless grace and mercy, and if we really understood that the way of access is wide open for us as, as God's covenant people in Christ, and if we really understood that there are indeed weeds of unbelief in our garden, we would pray and we would look for those weeds and we would seek to uproot them. I say to you, if you feel your prayer life is less than it should be, you are not alone. Even among this congregation, which might perhaps be judged to be a congregation of, I would say, higher than average spiritual maturity in many cases, we all struggle with prayer. And one of our struggles has to be a determination that I will go to God and I will stay with God I will stay with this relationship because without prayer I have no relationship to him. Carol and I renewed relationship this summer with a woman who is a believer in Christ who we last knew at the time of our high school graduation. Boy, there's a lot of living that goes on between high school graduation and 50 years later. What an interesting time we had of seeing our lives and her life intersect. In many ways, she was the same, but yet she was very different. She had been tempered by suffering in her life, a divorce, a loss of a baby, and other 
things and struggling in various areas of her life. But how interesting it was to pick up the threads of communication again. And and within a short time, we were communicating well, even at a spiritual level. How will we determine, when will we determine that we can walk away from the relationship of prayer and still know God and still guess at what he's doing in our lives if we will not go to him and submit ourselves to him and hang in there, persevere, persist, in the relationship of prayer, not to pry open a reluctant hand, but rather to reach out until we're sure that hand is grasping ours again. Prayer is the relationship language of a Christian and our God and Savior. And we need that constant, in-depth communication that seeks after him. Notice the last thing that Jesus said here in verse 8 of this parable. I tell you, God will give justice to them. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Understand that. Jesus wasn't saying there wouldn't be any Christians on the earth when he returns. But I think he was saying, will there be people who are eagerly looking for me? Again, go back into, into chapter 17 and see what he was saying there, and where he urged people to watch the signs of the times and, and be aware that he would come when no one expected him, and so on. And then leading right into 18.1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. When the Son of Man comes, will he find people praying and not losing heart, or will he find that even the Christians are fainting all over the place, giving up, giving in to circumstances? We can't fight City Hall. We can't fight Washington. Everything's out of control. Everything's hopeless. Is that what Jesus is going to find? Or will he find that there are people looking for him when he comes looking for us? Just remember the way that Jacob had that bizarre dream, the night that was really the most important night of his life. He had something very challenging ahead of him the next day, and he had been out of sorts and out of relation to his God in many ways. And by the brook Jabbok, he waited for the night to pass when he would meet his brother Esau after many years of what had been a wrong relationship. And the text tells us that Jacob wrestled, grappled with an angel all night. And we don't know exactly what that was all about. There are those who would even say that was a pre-incarnate encounter with Jesus Christ. But the, the big phrase that I take away from that wrestling match in the night was when Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. Are we ready to say to our God, I will not let you go until I recognize your justice, until I see your blessing. I'm determined to hang on. I'm determined to communicate in the language of prayer with you, Father. Why do we faint routinely faint in the face of difficult circumstances when we have the privilege of belonging to God by his sovereign grace given to us in the cross of Christ. We have the privilege of being called his elect people, chosen by grace. We have the enablement of the Holy Spirit. So why lose heart when you can still pray? Father, 
This is a simple lesson, but a hard one for us to hold on, to grapple, to keep looking, to continue expectancy. We're not good at these things, Lord. We pray that you would take hold of us, that we would not let go until we see your work, until we see your justice working out in our lives. How we thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.